Um, well, welcome everybody. Thank you all for joining me today. This is a super exciting brand new conversation um, because I am joined by some really amazing women in the anti-sexual violence movement space, my sisters, um, and we're all here today because all of our organizations have been tasked um, in doing something pretty Pretty historical. We are all part of um, a grant that allows us to create the first ever uh, culturally specific sexual assault resource centers. And the four organizations and the individuals joining us today will introduce themselves, introduce who they are, what they do at their orgs, and kind of give us a little uh, a background of how they got into this work and kind of what is the most exciting um, uh, future for each orgs and their new resource centers that they're creating. So just wanted to give the introduction. Um, we'll go around the space, introduce ourselves, and kind of get into it. I'll start off the introductions. My name is Meg Sunga. I'm the program associate um, at NAPI SEV, the National Organization of Asian Pacific Islanders Ending Sexual Violence. Um, but in I don't know if I say I moonlight. <laughs> I also moonlight as a podcaster producer and host. So I've kind of been tasked to spearhead this conversation and I'm joined by some badass women in the room and I will kick it off first to my, I call her my boss, but she doesn't like it when I call her the boss, but she's a, she's a boss to me. So I'll kick it off to Mira to introduce herself um, and start there. Hello everyone. My name is Mira Yusuf. I'm the um, Executive Director of Monsoon Asians and Pacific Islanders in Solidarity and uh, the National Organization of Asians and Pacific Islanders Ending Sexual Violence, or NAPISEV, is, uh, is the national and transnational program of Monsoon. So it's Monsoon is the big umbrella and then NAPISEV is just the, you know, one of the programs. Thank you, Mira. Who should we kick it off to next? Knowing Condencia because her um her phone her internet is not stable, <laughs> so we might as go to her now before it shuts down. Hi, right, girl. You you know you're in a community of color space when they call you out like that. You know <laughs> when it's like you know her stuff is shady. So go ahead and call you know call on her. Look it. <laughs> um, thank you, Mira. Uh, my name is Condencia Braid. I am with the National Organization of Sisters of Color Ending Sexual Assault. We go by CSE. And um, I am really pleased to be in this conversation with my colleagues. Um, we are so, I'm just so thrilled that we're in this space and we're able to be talking about this today. All right, I am going to pass it on um, to my colleague, Norma. Hi everybody. My name is Norma Ferraro and I'm the National Technical Assistance Director for Sexual Assault at Mujeres. So Mujeres Latinas in Acción is the uh, longest-led Latina organization, and we have many programs, and one of the programs is our sexual assault program. And we do prevention work and response work. And I pass it to Elena, my boss. Elena Sugano, uh, VP of uh, Sexual Assault here at Mujeres Latinas in Acción. Yes, I'm so happy to kind of be in space with folks today. My uh, Buju, my name is Jolene Ingleking. I am White Earth Anishinaabe from Minnesota. 
Um, I am with the Minnesota Indian Women's Sexual Assault Coalition, uh, which is both a statewide tribal sexual assault coalition, uh, supporting the 11 federally recognized tribes in Minnesota, as well as all the amazing advocates and communities um, across the state. Um, but really we're here today to talk about some of our national work, which has been big and growing and wonderful over the past decade or so. Um, and in particular for our new tribal sexual assault resource center. I wanna jump into why is this a big deal to have this type of funding for our communities that we serve? I can start, Elena Sugano. Um, I think the impact is that uh, uh, historically we have, uh, have been forgotten. So, so having this fund allow us, especially small agency that provide this service, it don't have access to more resources and create a network of uh, sisterhood among us. I think, you know, to add to um, what Helena said, I, I think it's, it's because it allows us to really begin to look at the, um, the long-term you know, implications of, um, of sexual assault in our communities. I think, you know, it's, it's really these resource centers allow us to really think about sexual assault in our different various communities of color as a public health issue. You know, we've, we always know, we talk about that it's a public health issue, but really being able to dig in and understand how it does impact the health and wellness of our communities, I think is, is what's exciting for me. To be able to look at the intersections, far too many folks in our communities have history of, there's a lot of health disparities. We, you know, we have high, you know, we call it diabetes, call it, you know, when we, when we, when we suffer from, you know, different um, illnesses, um, it, we oftentimes are not able to take a step back and look at the intersection of an history of sexual assault and what does that mean? How does it impact on maternal health? All of these broad scope health and wellness issues that we think about, um, we haven't had a chance to look at. And now I think this allows us to begin to look at the whole survivor. And when we think about even preventing sexual assault, we begin to look at where do we need to be intervening, the kind of conversations that we need to have with our communities and what does that look like? Yeah, adding to what Condencia has said, I think uh, this funding is extremely important because really allow us to see sexual violence, you know, thinking about the social determinants of, determinants of health and also thinking about new ways to address this issue and really, really try to move the needle because we know that we have been um, uh, talking about sexual violence, you know, some intention there, but not as clear as it is now. There has been a lot of focus in domestic violence and other things, but this is really, really to go deep into sexual violence and take into account what it does to people. I also just want to add, this is Mira Yusuf from Napiser. Um, I'm, I'm so glad that Condencia like specifically um, mentioned about uh, the public health uh, model, because I think um, three of the organizations that are part of the culturally specific um, resource center that just got funded by the Health and Human Services are also uh, Office on Violence Against Women um, TA providers, right? Technical assistance providers. So I, I think we've been 
well, Napisev specifically, and I, I, you know, like I'm just gonna discuss about Napisev's uh, kind of like um, experience that it's mostly like the justice system that we've been kind of like working with and when we're providing training and technical assistance, but never really be able, be able to like discuss really the public health model because we're in the criminal or we're in the criminal justice system realm. And now we could like be more holistic when we're looking at the victim and survivors, right? So I just love the fact that that Condensia brought that up because that is crucial. I think that is what is historical is the fact that now um, our organizations, the TA providers that are, are also the OVW, DOJ, training and technical assistance service providers are now also under HHS will basically then will be a different kind of um, like look. You're you're making a really good point that we now yeah. get to, you know, we've been seeing it and we're very thankful for mm -hmm. sexual assault for a long time has only been funded on Department of Justice. And we're very thankful yeah. for that. We are very yeah. thankful for that. But we also understand that there need to be broader responses and it, it it funds one of the pictures and this money allows us to be able to look at the whole picture. You know, I think it, it you're absolutely right. You know, being able to, you know, thankful for what we have on the DOJ, the opportunity to help to start some programs on the DOJ. This also be able is now helping to make our programs be able to think broadly and understand more. So yeah, I think you're right on point. Jolene, I want to know, as far as for tribal communities, how does this funding impact y'all? It doesn't impact us at all. I don't even know why we got it. No, we are so <laughs> um excited about this opportunity. I mean, you know, like more mainstream programs, you know, tribal programs have been funded, you know, for, for a chunk of years, for, for a while now. But at the same point, so often within our tribal programs, I mean, for one thing, you know, there's what, 574-ish uh, federally recognized tribes on top of, you know, state um, recognized tribes on top of all of the folks who, I mean, we're talking about how, what, between 80 some, 90 some percent of folks um, who identify as indigenous live off of tribal lands. Um, and so often the funding that we've gotten has been segmented where you can only work with tribal, you can only work with rural um, or urban um, communities. And now it's like, we have this opportunity through this funding to do exactly what folks are talking about, explore things through you know, a public health lens, but really by being expansive um, and really being able to kind of interweave our indigenous values into these spaces. And that's both tribal trying to help folks who may be housed in all of these different locations, like behavioral health within um, you know, the police department or, or within the medical facility, wherever it is, and really start to dive deep into how can they do better around, how can we be supporting people as they do better? Um, around sexual assault um, and having that focus where once again, so much of the money and so much of the time has been dedicated to domestic violence, which is so important, yet so often sexual violence with the incredibly high prevalence um, within our indigenous communities, as well as those lifelong impacts of trauma um, we really need to be having a much more focused look at that. And I'm also really excited to be, you know, diving into all those folks who don't quite fit into the trial programs. And that's including, you know, we have so many people, like it seems like almost every 
month, I meet at least one person who was part of the 60s scoop in Canada, you know, where uh, they took uh, the Canadian First Nations children um, and separated them from their family and their lands. And so many of them are now in the US and um, are still trying to regain connection to culture. And how does that experience um, really help us as we're helping as we're helping individuals, helping our communities heal? Um, oh. Really just looking forward to, I don't know, I'm just really excited about this and, and what we can do and how we can really do some, um, like build on the amazing work that has already been done and really just kind of take it to that next level. I, I just want to add that, um, you know, it is interesting that um, survivors of sexual violence, uh, usually the justice system is also traumatic for them, right? Um, it is also important for us to note that, that usually, as say survivors and victims, um, they usually do not report, um, especially in the Asian community, in the API community. So for me, I think what they just needed is healing. So therefore, how come we were never funded under HHS? So now, this is really no. like for us very um, monumental because... For me, anyway, it wasn't supposed to be with DOJ or from the criminal justice system because that the, that system in itself is problematic or is there's no like um, it wasn't really helping survivors because when they report, sometimes they're not believed, so sometimes they don't get the justice that they want, right? So for now, so for for us, like moving towards HHS and and going towards a public health model is what is really needed for victims and survivors. Although mm -hmm. justice, the criminal justice system is also as important, but the healing component, when we're looking at it, I think this is this is excellent. Uh, it's an mm -hmm. excellent addition. Yeah, I just wanted to add that this funding is really comprehensive. You know, it feels like really, really a lot of support to address all those issues that were difficult to address when funding is restricted, like when it comes from a criminal justice perspective. For instance, with this, with this funding, we can start to think how to address, for instance, child sexual abuse, right? Like, we know that it happens in many communities, but it's so difficult. It's so difficult to address because a lot of other things are in, in, in play, like, you know, reports to CPS and, and a lot of, a lot of obstacles to address those issues. So this funding really helped us to work on prevention, you know, and try to get to those, um, aspects, you know, also the interse intersectionality, it just feels so big and so great. Like we feel, I feel that everybody feels that they can do a lot with this in a yeah. way that it has never been before. It has, it hasn't been possible before. Absolutely. It feels, it definitely feels that, right? Like we all have been working within previous parameters that, again, weren't necessarily bad, like you all were able to do a lot of work under, you know, the previous grants in DOJ, but this just feels uh, a lot more opportunity um, with this with this new grant. So uh, thank you, everybody, for sharing the impacts um, of what this funding means to all of our communities. I'm curious to know, for each of you all, 
and, and it doesn't have to be too long a story, but I do want to get this um, uh, on the, the podcast recording. But I want to know, like, what brought you here to your work? If you're open to sharing your story on how you got into this work, I'd love to hear it. I mean, since I was uh, uh, growing up, you know, uh, social justice is, you know, my passion. When I first came to Mujeres, I came as, uh, I mean, the first thing when I immigrated to this country, one of the things that I, I did was volunteer to a, a shelter uh, that uh, deal with uh, survival of uh, domestic violence. So, and I came to Mujeres and I did, I mean, um, I work in, in different programs, but we uh, you see, I always see not as a victim, but a survival of a lot of potential. And, uh, and I see that there, there is uh, a lot of work that needs to be done. So that's why I think I do this work because I see a lot of hope and uh, somebody mentioned about healing and I see a lot of uh, healing uh, and that's what we are promoting in terms of a resource center that uh, the mainstream knows that uh, there is several ways uh, that uh, take a survivor to, to heal. I sometimes think that, you know, I've been, wow, I was really, I just, I was trained as an advocate half my lifetime ago. Um, I was 18 and I know why I got into advocacy at that point was because I, throughout college and as I was starting into college, um, I really began to recognize the endemic that was sexual violence about how I once went on a, you know, a camping trip with about like a dozen girls uh, in high school and every single person um, was going around the campfire telling about their sexual abuse. And I was realizing that there's not many spaces where people are willing to open up about those things or where it's safe enough to even be talking about things. Um, and then recognizing, you know, the impact that sexual violence has had, you know, within my own family, um, both generations back and recent and how that impacts the way we, we walk through life and how uh, we raise our kids and all of these sorts of things and the framework that we have on that day-to-day -day basis. Um, recognizing how many people are just having to be hyper-vigilant in all spaces, um, making like having to recognize that there's certain of my friends, you know, I have to let them pick where they sit at a restaurant um, for their own, you know, trauma needs. Um, and I think that that's kind of really why I started to get into direct service advocacy is because there was, you know, I had one friend and I, at that point I wanted to know, you know, why, why was she behaving the way she was and what can I do to make a difference? Um, and so I went through, you know, a 40 hour advocacy training and about halfway through all of a sudden I'm like, oh no, I'm like, I have to make a complete change in my life to focus on this. I wanted to work in museums. I wanted to study history. Um, and I recognize that as soon as the, the major aha moment clicked for me, I'm like, we have to be 
doing better. Um, and then seeing it both on, you know, my native side of my family and on the white side of my family and recognizing um, the cultures of silence that existed in both those spaces and really um, our intersections as humans with what does healthy sexuality look like when so much of it is clouded, you know, by all the sexual harm that has been done to us. Um, and so, you know, I started doing direct advocacy and then, you know, just popped on up to doing the more macro level work, which is where I really love to be and love to thrive. And so, and now, now that I, now that I've been at MUSAC and finally being able to, you know, truly work with indigenous people, like solely focused on that. Um, it has just been an amazing experience for me. So that's just a little bit of how I got here. There's my resume folks. Thanks, Jolene. Anybody else want to share how they got into this work? Or if not how they got into this work, what keeps them here? I think that's the other flip side to that. I, I can go. Um, what really, what I really enjoy about this work is to, is to acknowledge the, that every person has the tendency to flourish. You know, you just have to let them be so they can flourish and the hope and realizing that if people are supported, they are going to, you know, heal. They are going to heal and they are going to, you know, just get better. And also what is really interesting about this job is the possibility to really work on prevention because I see that there is a lot of space for awareness and for people to realize that it is possible to fight sexual violence in an effective way. I, I, I don't think that I could be working in this field if I would feel that it is not possible to move the needle. That, that's why I stay, because I, I believe, I really believe that we can do this, that we can, you know, prevent not all maybe, but many, many people from being harmed. Yeah, that's what keeps me here. You know, I think it's so much of what folks said. I think, you know, what, what keeps me there here is because sexual thoughts still exist, you know, and because I, you know, I'm a mom and I'm a sister and I'm a girlfriend and I'm all these kinds of things to the people in my life that matter. And so I think this work, you know, it's, it's, I think we all have to have good boundaries, right? But this is, this is work and life for me. You know what I mean? Like it's because I care about my community. I, you know, I, I was watching one of the programs we work with that was, there was a, a this, uh, um, uh, they had like a art thing they did with like little black girls and they were talking about, you know, like how important they are and what had happened to them. And I just, you know, it's for all of that. It's for all of that. It's for, you know, I feel like I have to be doing this because, and I started out like, you know, for many of you, I started out doing it with mainstream or non-community of color. And you know, I moved to doing it in, in, in my community, in communities of color, because I felt like I wanted us to have the tools to be able to address this. I feel like no matter what, if we don't start looking at and addressing the sexual assault that is happening in our community, 
by people within our community, then, you know, what, is, what, what do we say to the babies we bring into this world each and every day? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, I just feel like um, we have to be doing this. I don't have a choice but to do this because I don't want the folks that I care about and the folks that Mira cares about and Meg cares about and Norma cares about and other people that I don't know care about. I don't want them to be harmed by sexual assault. I don't want it to be a thing anymore. Um, not because we want to shut it down, but because it no longer happens. And there's such mm. outrage in our communities, you know, that it's just like, really? No, it can't be. It will not be. So, I, you know, I think that's what, that's what keeps me doing this. And, and then just adding to that, you know, um, I, I think all of us that are in this space right now and also our different organizations, I think that love for our community, just like what Condensia had said, is what's keeping us, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that love for our community, the love for our, you know, the our the the future, the the ones who are going to be here in the future. I mean, we will not solve sexual violence. It will not end tomorrow. It will not end this minute, at this minute, just because we are talking about it, but we right. are basically it's the seed that we are then um planting, right? We planted a lot already uh the folks before us had planted so now we're just gonna keep on going so i i think um i think that is what the centers are i mean they're just you know they're just those um i don't know like maybe it's springtime right now that's why i'm thinking about plants garden you know they're just the different gardens that we're going mm-hmm. to put seeds and you know we'll just keep on moving along <laughs> Y'all, it has been a pleasure. It has been a joy truly to kind of start this conversation and and where we're at. And I think this is going to definitely continue to to be some really real, in-depth, and not only informative to the listener, but enjoyable to hear like, these are real humans, real sisters of color, really just continuing to show up every day. And to hear how y'all do it and continue to do it is going to be a really exciting podcast. Any other thoughts, feelings, comments, concerns before we wrap up? I'm just extremely grateful to be here with all of you. And plus having all this funding is like a dream. It's like a Mm -hmm. paradigm. Thinking that we can do and we can support and we can partner with our communities. You know, it's, it's just great having this network of support i think is going to be great not just for us but for for other communities you know of a color thank you so much for saying that i think that for me yeah i mean i think sometimes like with these like podcasts and things like that it seems not not sterile but like it's hard to convey like the true like joy and energy and love that we (laughs) all have you know, for different projects, but also really at the heart of it is these, both the intersectionality between, you know, the, our different communities, but also how can we best um, be supporting each other and really, I don't know, just creating something absolutely beautiful um, with these opportunities that we have as we both de- deepen our relationships in so many ways. And so I'm really excited about all the great work we can do and love being in space with folks too. I was just going to say that, you know, to folks listening, like, just a couple of things. One is that I think for those of you, as, as my colleague said, you know, we, 
we want to get part of this is being in community and and with with you and so if if you're not familiar with any of our organizations if you i mean i'm assuming we'll have some contact information if you're doing work in communities of color if you're a community of color organization and you know you want to find out more please 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 reach out to us i think we are starting we have big dreams and big ideas but our projects are just starting and so um you know if we we want we want to be able to build on that community for those that we don't already know and so you know encourage you to reach out to us um I think the other thing is I'm hoping to identify people that are doing the work that are communities of color folks that are doing the work on the intersections of sexual assault and other, you know, health issues, healing, et cetera. So um, reach out to us, you know, like, please, please. We want to know who you are um, as well. So just wanted to add that. You've been listening to a special episode of Leave Your Shoes at the Door, introducing the new culturally specific sexual assault resource centers, MUSAC, Mujeres, Napisev, and CISE, hosting and editing and producing by Meg Sunga. Special thanks to our guests, Jolene Ingleking from the Minnesota Indian Women's Sexual Assault Coalition, Norma Ferrero and Elena Sugano from Mujeres Latinas in Acción, Meg Sanga and Mira Youssef from the National Organization of API Ending Sexual Violence, and Cadencia Braid from the National Organization of Sisters of Color Ending Sexual Assault. Follow us on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. Got any questions? Feel free to email me, Meg Sanga, at meg at Thanks for listening.